Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! So, I am recording this, as I said last week, uh, early, or the intro's early. Obviously, the interview's not, but uh, the intro's a little early because I'm flying out to Maryland, Annapolis tomorrow, Annapolis, Maryland, uh, for a wedding, and I'm very, very excited about it. As you can tell in my monotone voice, uh, it's a family wedding. There it is. And uh, I just have to record this early because I'm not going to be back till Sunday. I've got another wedding in May that I'm going to. Same family, different groom, different groom, different people uh, that I'm super excited. This is the year of weddings. I've got so many weddings that I'm not going to all of them, but I'm invited to quite a few before I fly out. In May to a wedding, I'm going to be at a wedding, uh, I'm in, or I'm a part of two weddings in May, uh, then I've got one in September, I've got one in October, I feel like I've got another one uh, uh, that's in the summer, I don't remember exactly when that date is, but it's just the year of the wedding. Uh, oh, and a colleague of mine is getting married in Alabama, Ah, it's a lot, so I'm not getting gifts for anybody. Um your gift is me showing up. So I'm excited, but <clears throat> it'll be, I'm going to be flying with my daughters by myself. By the, by the time this comes out, uh, it'll like, we'll be almost flying back. Um, but I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning with, uh, Ava and Eleanor by myself because Jennifer right now, as I speak is in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um, and she's there for work. Uh, the, that's kind of where her work is, hu- the hub of her work is. And so they fly them out there, I think, once a year. This is her first time to go because it's her first year with them. But uh, they fly them out there once a year to kind of just see the lay of the land, see some updates, you know, have everybody in one in one space under one roof. And then they kind of have, you know, celebratory stuff. I don't know. Nothing says celebrate like an end of March business party right um so anyway montreal quebec canada that's pretty good i I think it's a pretty good accent but uh not to make light of any situation um this was another tough week and a lot of people have gone off on you know protecting our kids and gun control and the lack thereof really and i don't want to get into politics uh i'm a believer that guns should go bye-bye you know especially if at if at the least god forbid we ban assault rifles right uh i saw lots of videos my algorithm excuse me for the sniffles my algorithm on the ticky talk is filled with now uh why we should ban guns right there were a couple that popped up that are like pro-gun pro-second amendment hey protect our second amendment that was made 250 years ago when we could load a gun one bullet every 20 seconds and then shoot one person every 20 like sure man protect your if you want if you want to go back if you want the second amendment that amendment amendment that is perfectly fine if you are also willing to only own a bayonet or like some sort of single shot rifle that you have to stuff a bullet down every few seconds, right? 
if if you want it so bad, then let's go back to that. Like, let's go back to what they knew when they wrote the Second Amendment. They did not foresee AR-15s. Um, and I don't want to, again, this isn't that podcast. But my point is, is I now, as a father, am afraid to send my kids to school. Like, do I wake up every morning fearful of their lives at school? No, I don't. I'm not that worried or that dramatic. But I'm worried, uh, even if I'm mildly worried, to send my own kids to a school. And then this one hit even harder uh, because it was a private school. Just personally, it hit harder. Um, And that right there uh, scared me a little bit, a little bit more than uh, some others recently, which is horrible to say that there are others that were recent, some bullshit. But um, because of of the, the, apparently, the way that this shooter was treated, apparently, allegedly, right? You got to say allegedly, innocent until proven innocent or guilty until proven innocent or whatever it is in this country anymore. Um, but, Allegedly, this this shooter, 28-year-old, was um, probably going through some hard times because in high school, I don't know when they identified as transgender, but uh, in high school, that's a tough time, especially if you're at a private school. Speaking as somebody that teaches at a private school, that completely <clears throat> kiboshes a lot of your personal internal feelings. I don't have students in the private school world that are out, but I have a lot of students that are gay. And whether that's right or wrong of me to say, um, when you're in the world of theater, you learn how to identify certain people, right? And again, that's stereotyping. Okay, I get it. That's not necessarily right of me to say. But like when my, at the time, best friend sits me down a couple of months after we graduated from high school and lets me know that they are out of the closet, I celebrated that they were out of the closet because it was a huge deal for this person and ended up being a few years of just absolute hell with their family. But that has that has long, that was 23 years ago, so that is long gone, right? they're like relationship wise, just fine. But it was a struggle at first. However, all of this person's friends knew that this person was gay. They just weren't out yet. And um, that's not transgender. I know that. But the fact that this shooter was not allowed probably in their own eyes and maybe even the eyes of their school and maybe the parents i don't know wasn't allowed to be themselves in 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 be who they felt they should be uh yeah that's going to be stressful as all hell and then they lived with that for 10 years and um tried to make sense of it somebody said uh, and this was a parent of the uvalde uh a a a, a victim uh, a parent of one of the Uvalde victims um, said that it's not about the dead, right? It's it's very sad and very, very, very unfortunate and tragic, like all of those things. But it's now about the living. 
those kids, the, the, the hundreds of kids that are in that school and even the adults that are now having to live with this memory <clears throat> that they will never, ever erase from their mind. It's one thing to see a person come in and do horrific things, but then to see the police, which I'm not saying police shouldn't have done this. I'm just saying the visual <clears throat> is tragic and um, just mind-numbing and that they have to see these these officers, and they were very brave in this instance, to go in with these big guns that they've only seen some of them in video games and on TV and in whatever, and then fire these guns to eliminate a threat that has come into their place of education. I don't say it a lot, but that's fucked up. Um. Anyway, I, 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 this one, you know, as do they all when it's, especially when it's kids, you know, I'm kind of desensitized to seeing on the news, like, you know, person murdered in certain part of town in Houston and like, that's sad and tragic and that somebody's loved one, multiple people's loved one. But there's a part of me that's kind of unfortunately very uh, numb to that. But with kids, nope, it's it's infuriating. Um, and I have done things to try to help the situation. I'm not trying to make myself a martyr. But like if you're just a talker, you're no better than uh like the politicians, you have to try to do something about it. And unfortunately you have to go to the politicians that make these, um, that make these laws and complain to them. Uh, I, again, I saw some, this is not my own idea. I saw somebody else post something about when will something be done? Or they were responding to a question like, when is something going to be done? When is enough enough? And I think they're right on this, uh, that, and I, and I actually tied this into education enough is enough and things will be done once the kids, the victims of these incidences, once these kids from Uvalde, once these like fifth graders and fourth graders, these nine and 10 year olds, give it 20 years, which is a hell of a long time. But those kids are going to start to make changes within our country based on their childhood and their memories and their trauma. And I believe that. I think that maybe it'll happen sooner. I hope it happens sooner. God forbid. I mean, like, please, these fucking idiots that are in Congress and in the Senate and politicians that are getting their pockets filled, filled by the NRA. Even the ones that come out publicly and say, we got to do something about it. Hell yeah, you do. But you're not. You're not. You're just not. Because you're a 65-year-old white man that has hundreds of thousands of dollars somewhere under a mattress at home that are labeled with the NRA's, you know, stamp. All right, I'm done. I'm really sorry to my guest this week, uh, Brad Neese, that uh, he was kind of the intro was subjected to this. Um, but Brad was a fun chat. Uh, Brad Neese's name comes up on a lot of things. I knew Brad Neese's name because of uh, my time working with TXCTA and booking the vendors and the booths and the colleges and such. Um, and so Brad Neese's name has been on my, you know, computer screen for a few years now as just somebody that's affiliated um, with that college world. Uh, so I was super excited to have Brad on. Not only is Brad a professor, head of the department at Blinn, um, outside of College Station, but he's also a playwright. 
So if you're interested in some of the stuff, he talks about some of his plays and such, uh, or at least his style within this interview. Um, and it was really fun. Uh, one of those people I really kind of just haven't gotten to know, but have always been interested in getting to know. So uh, again, I apologize for the long intro, but I had to, I just had to get that off my chest. And this podcast has not only turned into a way for me to get to know people, but a little bit of a way for me to vent a little bit of a, a journal, if you will, if you will. I hope WrestleMania night one was awesome. I'm assuming it was, uh, WrestleMania night two is tonight. If you're listening to this on Sunday, um, I mean, Cody's probably walking out with the belt, right? Right, Bobby. All right. Anyway, have a great week, everyone. Buy a shirt, support the podcast, do all the things. Have a great rest of your week. I hope it's much better than this past week. And have a great Easter weekend coming up, right? All right, good Friday, all that stuff. Happy Passover. I was bit by the bug my freshman year in high school. Uh, Prior to this, I was a major loser. Um, I didn't like school. I had really no ambition. Uh, My father owned a a sewing machine store. He sold sewing machines and worked on sewing machines. And so I just figured I was going to work for him someday. And so I really didn't have any ambition or any um, uh, ideas of where I was going. until my freshman year, fall semester, I took a class with a with a speech teacher, and her name was Lydia Folks. And and Mrs. Folks was the one who picked me up, dusted me off, and got me on my way. Uh, she uh, saw talent in me. Uh, she saw potential. And uh, the first thing we did that year, she did an all school play, and I auditioned for that. Just uh, me and a friend auditioned and I mean, we were, we were just goofing, you know, we thought, Hey, sounds like fun. So my friend and I both got on the crew of that. Well, my friend ended up not doing it because he wasn't really uh, focused on it, but I really liked the people and I liked what I was doing. So I figured what the, Hey, so I was um, um, working on that and, and I was in crew for that, for that show. Well, then the, later that semester, we did a children's show and I ended up getting the lead in that. And I was blown away that she would even consider me for the lead in this, in this children's show. But needless to say, we did it. And, uh, and then the next year we did the next semester, we did our one act play and I ended up getting a part in that. It was a small part, but I ended up getting a part in her one act play. So, uh, so I've been doing one act ever since and, and everything. Well, over those next four years, I mean, she really, uh, took me under her wing. She really showed me, uh, what, um, uh, what theater was about. And she showed me, uh, how to, how to, pick myself up and dust myself off basically. Uh, so she did that. And then, uh, when I was a senior in, uh, high school, uh, again, it was getting close to my, the end of my senior year. And I didn't really have any idea of where I was going to go. And all the people in our theater arts program, I went to, um, Sanford Fritch high school, which is in Fritch, Texas, which is North of Amarillo, but, um, way up there. And, um, and so when when I went uh, uh, was getting ready to to graduate, I really didn't have any focus. Well, we 
we went to a one act play contest and our judge was this terrific man, absolutely terrific, by the name of Terrell, Terrell Lewis. And uh, Terry had uh, offered me a scholarship to come be in his program at Amarillo College. And so since it was full tuition, I figured, hey, this is where I need to be. So I did. And I did that for two years. Then I went to uh, and worked under him. And he ended up uh, hiring me as his uh, 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 student worker and his assistant. And, and I learned how to run a theater program under him. Uh, he, he just I mean, he again took me under his wing and just really uh, got me got me in the right direction. Then I went to uh, West Texas at that time. It was West Texas State University. Now it's West Texas A&M but went to West Texas State, and and I actually changed my major. I saw a lot of people at that time that were, were uh, uh, graduating with theater degrees and, and working in shoe stores, and I didn't want to be that, you know, that person. So I changed my major to radio, TV, and film, and did that for two years, but I still stayed in the theater, even though I couldn't get away from it, even though I was a different major. Uh, I was auditioning for plays at WT and ended up getting the lead in, in two of them. And and so I was just I was really excited. And there I worked with uh, that director was Royal Brantley. And he was just, uh, again, another fantastic uh, guardian angel in my life that was looking out for me and making sure. Everything was great. Well, I graduated from WT and I ended up getting a job in a men's clothing store, which is what I didn't want to do, but I, where I was and did that for about a year. And then I had an opportunity from another uh, outstanding uh, professor uh, by the name of uh, Robert Bartabedian. And Dr. Bartabedian had uh, pulled me in uh, because I was taking a I was I was working, but I was taking a, a class uh, for graduate level just to get my feet wet and see if I liked graduate. I had no intention to go for a graduate degree um, at that time, but I found out that he was offering a class. And so I thought, eh, well, we'll check it out. So I did. I took the class. Well, he pulled me aside after class one day and said, I want you to work in our, in our program. And, and I was like, okay. And he gave, ended up giving me a job of, of a, a student teacher. We were called graduate, graduate, assistance is what we were called but it was a it was a teaching job and that meant that I did the classes that were that nobody else wanted so I was teaching eight o'clock in the morning and I was teaching uh night classes where they would not you know nobody else really wanted them everyone wanted to go home um I was teaching I I ended up subbing for that first semester for another professor uh who worked with me in the speech department uh, named Dr. Menifee, and his uh, father was not doing well. And so he went to go be with it. He took a sabbatical to go be with his father. And so I ended up taking over his classes while he was gone, his speech classes. And, and that was just a terrific experience for me. And that's when I realized that educational theater was my love. Uh, education. And I was, I was thinking, all right, I'll be either speech or, or theater or both. And, and it turned out I had just, I was there for a year uh, doing that. And then I had, I heard about a job in, in Brenham, Texas, and I'd never heard of Brenham, Texas. Um, and I had a friend, I remember I had a friend living, I was living in Amarillo at this time and had a friend and, uh, mentioned to him that I was applying to a job in Brenham. 
And he said, well, that's where Bluebell ice cream is made. And I was like, what's Bluebell ice cream? And he said, oh, my gosh, you got to have Bluebell ice cream because he had lived in in the Dallas area and it actually had it. And so he knew the name. He knew the name Brenham. So I uh, ended up this was in by this time it was 1990 and I uh, applied to Blinn and it was exactly what I wanted. Uh, it was a, a speech and theater uh, instructor position. And, uh, and so I, uh, thought, oh, this is the one I want. This is the one I want so bad. And, uh, and so I came down here. They actually wanted to, to meet with me. I came down here and, uh, and I had applied and came down and, and had an interview. And, uh, and one of the things I thought was really funny was that when I came in, they had already hired somebody, but then they bailed at the last minute. And so they were, this was August. And classes started uh, the like on the 25th, I think, of August or something like that. And and they needed somebody that could like drop everything and move there and be there for for that year. And uh, and I said, I can I can do that. I mean, I was living in an apartment. All I had to do was just give notice to my apartment in Amarillo and <clears throat> and I was, you know, pack up my my crud because it was a furnished apartment. So I didn't really have anything but some pots and pans. And so <clears throat> I was able to, uh, to, uh, go ahead and, and get here, uh, into Brenham as quickly as possible. And, uh, and when I came here in 1990, uh, it was, it was exactly what I wanted to do. I felt this is, this is, this is my, this is my dream. This is where, this is where I need to be. And when I, uh, it started, I decided that I was going to give it five years. I was going to see where I was in five years and see how things were going. And if everything was going great, I was going to stick around. If not, I was going to start, you know, looking for some other places. But, uh, uh, so I, so I was, I was, uh, I was going to give it five years. Well, it's coming up on almost 35 years and I'm still at Blinn College in Brenham. So it has been an incredible, uh, journey. It's been exactly what I wanted. Um, even even if anything seems like if anything's negative hap has happened to me, uh, it has turned into a good thing. I was able to take those lemons and make lemonade. Um, went through a stint. Uh, this was ooh, about 10, maybe ooh, coming up on, I guess, 20 years ago. Um, the state went through and changed the requirements for all um, um community college teachers and and I found out later it was also universities uh, uh suffered from this too but people that had been hired on for jobs all of a sudden were not qualified for the job they were teaching uh I had a ton of speech credits but I didn't have enough theater credits so I could teach speech uh at Blinn but I could not do the theater and and that was what the what it was looking like well it turned out that um I was able to, I, I'll, I'll never forget uh, Texas Tech University because I called them and I was so embarrassed. You know, I've been at Blinn for 25 years and I was like, really, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, been here for this long and I now all of a sudden I'm not qualified to do my job anymore. I would think I would be more qualified, but, but I wasn't. And uh, so I called, I'd heard that Texas Tech had a program that offered a doctorate well, no, I'm sorry, master's degree slash doctorate classes during summers. And so I contacted them and I was so embarrassed. And I said, look, I'm, I'm with Blinn College in Brenham and I have uh, I, I've all of a sudden I'm not I'm not qualified for my job. And they said, uh, oh, wait, this is part of the whole change in the in the Texas system. 
in the Texas educational system? And I said, yes, it is. And they said, no problem. 48 hours later, I was registered and in classes at, at Texas Tech. Uh, I took playwriting classes. And as such, I have become a published playwright. And so even in the negative things that may have happened over time, I was able to overcome those and and actually uh, expand things. I always wanted to be a writer. Even when I was little, I wanted to be a writer. And and now I'm actually a published playwright and I'm uh, uh, part of uh, Houston uh, scriptwriters because we're really close to Houston here. So um, so I've, I've, I've been doing that um, and getting plays published and doing doing my work at at Lynn. Um, of course, pandemic came and that that gave us a stumble. But now we've got some technology that we did not have available to us. And I'm actually able to teach more classes online and things like that. And at first I was like, oh, that's going to be terrible. But then I've realized as I've done it, it's it's not as bad and it's it's OK. And I'm and I'm really liking it. So so I'm I, I'm really even even in the stumbles of my of my career here at Blinn College, it's it's all you know there was a silver there was a silver lining behind those clouds that's i didn't i don't know if i realized you were at blend so long uh i knew oh, you've been yeah. there for a while but <laughs> i'm a relic <laughs> yeah so awesome um first of all the whole like living you know i i i don't know if i've ever been to the panhandles so i don't know what it's like up there i know it's a kind of a different world because the weather's different mm. and it's just like but the fact that you said that you are, you know, you're from Texas and you lived in Amarillo for a while and that you hadn't heard of, or at least had Bluebell, uh, kind of blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> so is it, is it, is it that Amarillo is like too far away from things or too much into Oklahoma's panhandle that, you know, it's. It was, it yeah. was at that time. Okay. Um, it was, and they also had competition from Brahms. See, Brahms gotcha. was up in Oklahoma and was and was coming down into that area. And so you really couldn't get for a long time. You couldn't get Bluebell past uh, Dallas. Right. And so we had uh, we had ended up up there and I'd never, you know, never heard of Bluebell. And uh, and now you can get it up there. They, yeah. They've expanded up that way. And and I think Brahms may have come down a little bit further than uh, than what they did. Yeah, so, I think I think the because my wife is from Dallas and she swears by Brahms. She absolutely like, she thinks Brahms is, is the godsend. And so I think the last Brahms, at least on 45 is Ennis. Um, so (laughs) according to her, like the, you know, these are facts that you would have to check with her, but, um, but I know that she has stopped in Ennis before because it, it, Mm -hmm. it is, it is the coldest version of Brahms ice cream that she'll get back down to Houston. So, yes. you know, it's like yes. it, it melts slow or not slower, but it's, it's not as melted. <laughs> I guess. Yes. I By the time know. she gets to Houston. <laughs> I don't know. So I know there've been a handful of times we have Brahms soup, uh, arrived to the house. So, um, yes. you know, anyway, but it's worth it. Yeah, it is. I get to her. Um, so it sounds like you also, uh, right place right time kind of thing do you consider yourself lucky or do you consider yourself just kind of like adaptable or uh you know all of the above i mean how how is it you know at least at the beginning of your career and even as you said with some of the changes making uh lemonade out of lemons that kind of stuff do you consider yourself someone that's just an opportunist or have you been lucky or all of the above you know question for you 
Well, I would have to say all of the above. Um, I've had uh, a great deal of guidance uh, through this process, and I've had just incredible people that have just dropped into my life that that have helped me and have been there with me and 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 told me when the when the chips were down, said it's it's going to be okay. My wife is is one of those guardian angels. She is just. Um, uh, been with me for 32 years and we, uh, you know, and there's times when I, when things were looking bleak and she was the one that said, yeah, there were times I would say, you know, I could, I could just be a speech teacher somewhere. I could go do this and at, at some other school. And she would say, no, you're not, you're not going to be happy. And, and I would say, well, you know, yeah, I would be. And she said, no, because you're going to get over it. You're not going to, you know, you're mad now, but you're going to get over this and, and it's going to work out. And, uh, and then you're going to, because if you did haul off and, and just see speech, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But if, if, you know, I'm, uh, there's more, there's more to me than that. And, and I think that, uh, uh, I think she's absolutely right. I've realized that if, if I had, if I had chucked it all, um, back in the day, that would have been uh, would have been a mistake. So I'm very I'm incredibly happy uh, where I'm what I am doing. So yeah, good. I believe that. I believe as far as a playwright, I believe I'm a hobbyist. <laughs> I don't yeah. consider myself. Uh, I I may be published, but being a playwright is uh, it's it's something I love and it's something that gets me into. I can uh, have my me time and and go into my head and and come up with uh, different ideas and scenarios and things like that. I really uh, love being creative like that. And, uh, but I, I don't consider it. I, it's not my, it's not my lifeblood and it's, uh, it is, uh, important to me, but it's something that I will pursue more so after I retire, right. uh, because I just, you know, just with time, uh, but I have had some really good success with some plays. And one thing I've been told is that the, the, the characters that I write are really fleshed out. And they said, you know, I could, I could, I could see these people read it and say, I see these characters in my head and I see them, you know, the way they're acting and the way they sound and, and everything. And I really attribute that to the fact that I've been a theater director for so long and working with actors and getting them into, into, this is the way I see this character. And this is, this is what you're doing. And then them coming in with ideas and, and things like that. So I really feel like that's, that's uh, an extension of what I do as a theater director. It's, it's not all me because believe me, um, I would not be uh, able to live on what I make as a playwright. It's, it's very cool to say, you can tell people, yes, I'm a playwright. And they go, Oh, how exciting, how wonderful. Ooh, how, how neat. And it's like, yeah, you don't know. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, all you get are bragging rights. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it might, right. It might get you a nice meal every once in a while, but yeah. Every yeah. <laughs> once in a great while. Yeah. I, I do a workshop and I always tell uh, uh, the people in the workshop, I said, you're not going to get rich. Okay. <laughs> I'm just telling you, don't quit your day job. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are some people that have been able to do that. Uh, some writers and, and some uh, uh, playwrights have been able to quit their day jobs and, and do Stephen King, you know, as an example. Um but uh, but that happens few and far between. Right. And and so I just I tell them it's a labor of love and and I do it because I love it. Yeah. And that's how and that's that's what I do. How often do you write? 
Uh, I try to write every day, but sometimes it gets a little, that gets crazy. I try to write a little bit. Um, what I do is I go online and I'll find, uh, there's some websites that will tell you uh, where there are contests that are taking place and where there are uh, uh, theaters that are looking for for scripts and looking for things. And what I'll do is I will look at their requirements and see what they want. And then I, well, I take what I've written and say, okay, well, this will work for this and this will work for that. There's one contest I'm just about to um, to enter um, and it's in uh, uh, Italy and they're looking for, they're looking for, there will be two winners of this contest. One will be an Italian written, play written in, in Italian and the other will be uh, a play written in English. And so uh, I've got a play that fits in their criteria and what they're looking for. Uh, before I send it off, though, there is a playwright. I found his email address online and he um, won this award at one time. So I'm, I'm going to, to reach out to him and say, hey, um, this is what I have and this is what I'm thinking about. Is this what they're looking for? You know, and see if I could get, you know, just some two cents from him. Um, but it seems it, there's no entry fee. So I'm I'm thrilled. I'm going to see what happens. But <laughs> that's what I do is I look at places that are <laughs> can't pay that. Right. Uh, but uh, but the uh, but that's what I do is I, I look for for people that are looking for things. And I'll also find theaters that that produce the kind of plays that I like to write right. and and we'll send them to them. And usually don't hear anything, but that's okay. Uh, that's just part of that's part of the business. Did did you know what type of play you enjoyed writing when you started? No, I did yeah. not. Um, I used to I used to just write when I was younger. I used to just just write things. Uh, but and and but I really loved. I have a love of horror movies and horror stories and, and things like that. So anything I write was pretty was pretty gruesome. Uh, and then. Um, when I got into high school, I really liked uh, writing farces and things that were funny, uh, really appealed to me. And so I started just scribbling, you know, these funny little stories and and, and things like that. Uh, then as I got into it, as I've grown up and, and actually got into it, I found that um, I'm a bit of a history buff and I write uh, true crime, a lot of true crime things. I've got a play about Dean Coral. Uh, who was a serial killer back in the seventies in Houston? Um, got uh, I've got a couple of comedies, but I wrote an adaptation of the Tall Tale Heart that's out there, and I've I found that it's 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 mainly the the um, uh, true crime or 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 uh, uh, suspenseful stories, things like that. A lot of my plays are very in that vein. In that vein, yeah. I, I kind of warn people because sometimes my plays get a little. Um, I hate to say graphic because they're not graphic, but they're, they, they deal with, they deal with some mature subject matters. Right. And I let people know, Hey, you know, um, my stuff's a little, you know, mature. So, so, but, um, but I, I've had some people that have read it and loved it. Had one play produced in, in Brooklyn, uh, in an off Broadway theater. They, uh, I entered it in a contest and they, they produced it for me there huh. and went to Brooklyn and got to see it. And that was about, uh, the refrigerator murders in, in Houston, where the couple was, was murdered and cut up and put into their refrigerator in their home. Huh. And, uh, yeah, see things like that. Oh. And, uh, and so my my play was a was a docudrama. Right. I call it a docudrama of of what happened prior to the you know what led up to this murder. And so 
So you anyway, and that was that was uh, that was really exciting. So you I'm do sorry, a lot of re- I was going to say you must do a lot of research then to to lead up to your plays. Uh, that that's fascinating. I mean, that, I I you know if you if you look at my Netflix algorithm, you know what it suggests and everything. Uh-huh. Everything is about mystery, murder, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There yeah. is something fascinating about what it is that gets somebody to the point of, you know, doing these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that to me is the the most exciting is to is to look at it and try to you know take all the evidence you have and try all the research and everything you've done and then say okay this is the kind of person this yeah. was and then try to make a story based around that person. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. I need to look that stuff up. I, I'm i in a program now at uh, A&M Commerce, and I'm taking a playwriting class, and I'm writing a play. Uh, wow. And, you know, it's just, it's part of the class, obviously. We're just doing a one act. It's like a 40-minute one act. But it's it's funny how you get on a roll at writing, but then all of a sudden when you lose the thought or the path, it's just like stops, you know, it just, it just yep. dead ends. And so I... I've, I've gotten, I don't know, 15, almost 20 pages written, but then I just stopped because I was like, man, uh, I think I'm tired. (laughs) So you get that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That happens. That is uh, very, I need to rejuvenate. Well, well, best of luck on that. I I hope that, uh, you ought to get that thing published. Yeah. Thank you. It is one of those things, you know, writing, playwriting, especially not necessarily novel writing or, or, or any sort of, uh, uh, you know, formal papers. I, I don't like that stuff. I love the, the, the playwriting side of things. And I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's something about it that is just a little more to me. And it's probably the same for you, just a little more gratifying and, and satisfying that, um, you're telling a story with literal dialogue rather than, you know, trying to describe something to the best of your ability with adjectives and, trying to build a Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, storytelling, that kind of stuff. That's, that's not something I don't think I would ever be good at, but the playwriting thing, because I know that that actor is going to add some of their own, uh, texture and flavor to it. I can trust that they're going to take some of the words and kind of make it their own, which I think that that's kind of that comfort element to it. Right. And I'll tell you something that's really exciting. If you can get your play, uh, produced, yeah. Absolutely do it. If nothing else, just a reading, yeah. because then you're going to see uh, it, it, it when it comes to life is what you just sit there and go, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I did this. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. So um, I didn't do it all, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so the um, you mentioned towards the end of your your story about online classes, right? And how mm-hmm. uh, you've come to accept that some of these are, it's not as bad as maybe initially thought. Are there right. some classes or some some um, elements of education that you find are actually not so bad online? Uh, and then are there some that you were like, okay, this one, we need to be in person for this right. and, and, it, right. and it's just too difficult to do online? Right. Um, well, one thing that I've, I've before going into the into um, into the pandemic, I, I'm I was a real dinosaur uh, in the fact that I taught the old fashioned way and everything, and and nobody said anything in balloons, so I guess everybody was happy. So, um, but I was teaching face to face classes, and and the only thing that I would have on on eCampus, our eCampus, which is our you know online. Um, 
modem. Uh, we, um, I would have like their their grades posted on there and their attendance, and that was it. And and I didn't use it as I didn't use it where they would have to go to it all the time. You know, if, only if they wanted to. Um, well, with that all changed with the pandemic, and I got to where I was I was able to to teach um, speech online and and fully online and. It's it's great and it's terrific and some some speech teacher would love it. I prefer just personally, I prefer live speeches uh, being produced. Um, it it's uh, it takes a while for me at least to grade great speeches that are that are sent in via Zoom and and it's really hard for me to get students to understand. Okay, when you get up and give a speech, you need to stand up. You need to be. You need to uh, take a professional approach. Uh, I need to be able to see you from head to toe. You know, so many people want to sit in their chair and and shoot the bull and and record themselves. And I mean, that's terrific for them, but it's it's not it's not what we're teaching. The whole speech um, uh, process. Uh, there's more to it than that. And and I just prefer. I have realized after you know, kind of self evaluating this last semester. Um, I was just going crazy trying to get things graded and and keeping up with my online class and everything. So I finally told um, uh, our department head, um, I said, look, if at all possible, if you need me to teach an online speech class, I will. But if I could get away from it, it just takes up so much time. And and I'm very busy with the theater side of things. And so I'm and he and he he's he's adhered to that. He uh, understands that. So. Um, uh, but there are some classes that are conducive to teaching online. Uh, there is a theater appreciation class. Now that's a that's very easily taught online. Um, it's more about the content, and it's about you know understanding it and then submitting things back to me, and so and show that you're that they're getting it. Uh, there's also I'm going to get um, um, qualified this uh, this next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, for teaching film appreciation, which is part of our in our in our program in our theater arts program, and the uh, and the film appreciation uh, class is just a lot of fun. I just love teaching it. Um, I take it from more of a, a theatrical standpoint of how theater ended up influencing film, but uh, but that's just the way I I like to teach it. And but again, it lends itself to online, and so that is very. Uh, um, uh, that's that I'm excited about that. So, so yeah. I just, I live classes like a, like an acting class or a speech class. Um, I, I, I see the benefit in some regards of having them, uh, online, completely online. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan just because there's so much more, there's so many more elements to it that, that they need to under, I believe the students need to understand in yeah. an yeah. acting they have to get up and perform their scene before an audience, you know, and and it's just things like that. And that's a, and that's strictly a personal thing. Some people may think I'm I'm uh, a complete dinosaur in that in that regard. But I just like the one on one individual yeah, uh, yeah. connection. This might be kind of a lame tech tip of the week, but it's just a tip, just the tip of the tech tech tip. Uh, so. LEDs and moving lights have a variety of profiles within them that take up a specific amount of attributes within your board. And although I know a lot of you know that, 
What a lot of you don't do, so I've seen, is when you have a problem with a light, maybe it's fading and you want it to not fade and it, you've set the time in your board to be a zero but it's still fading or your moving light is moving oh so slightly even though you you're not touching it or doing anything or it's strobing on its way out right when you're when you turn it off or take it out of a queue it strobes what is likely the case is that either a you have the wrong profile set in your board and so it thinks like the red attribute is actually the strobe or uh, the pan attribute is actually pan fine, right? So you want to check to see if your profiles match between your board and the light itself. One tip that I typically do is I set all of my LEDs to be something for a show, right? Uh, the popular one a long time ago, one of the best things that Stage Light ever did for themselves, but one of the worst for us, is sell us a bunch of pups and bulldogs. And those pups have three, six, maybe five, nine, I forget the upgrades, but I set all mine to six and I never change them. Uh, therefore, you always know in your board that you're doing a six-channel pup. It's just a simple way to keep it that way. The other tech tip, just the tip, uh, just a tiny, tiny little tip is to put some tape on your light and label it as a six channel or whatever it is that the profile is so that the next time you go to hang it or you go to patch it, you know exactly what you need to patch and how many channels it's going to take, how many DMX channels or attributes it's going to take within that universe. Oi! Gavalt, that was such a tip. Enjoy the rest of Brad Neese's interview. I'm adjuncting at the University of Houston, and I'm only doing one one class a semester. And last semester, um, I was in person once a week. I was, you know, with with these student teachers or these these students that are going to be theater teachers. And this semester, I'm uh, mentoring, quote unquote, student teachers that are in the classroom, seniors that are getting ready to be released out into the real world, right? right and and right. what I've what I've found is that I, like you, I, I'm kind of that old school. I, I really enjoyed last semester where we met. We sometimes the class was uh, the most educational version of the class was just sitting and talking about the business and the profession and uh, there wasn't you know uh, necessarily a, a board with PowerPoint on it or anything like that, but they got more out of conversational education uh, than anything. And I have found that this semester in needing to type my response to kids, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not, it's not as, it just doesn't feel as connected, you know? Um, right. So right. anyway, right. I, I, I kind you know, of understand. Kids more, yeah. you know, that's a big thing with me is that I'm, I'm walking away from a, from a completely online class where I really don't know. Yeah these people because because you know i i saw them recorded but right. i didn't i haven't met them face to face right but yeah so uh when the qualifications changed you mentioned that you went to tech uh, yes. uh did do you know if that had an effect on some and you don't need to name names but did that have an effect on teachers in kind of certain prof uh, or, or certain colleges and specifically probably theater or the fine arts did it make them change leave did it were there were there any like negative 
reactions to when that qualification changed? I know you went on to to get qualified, even though mm-hmm. you were, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. But 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 you know, in the eyes of the state, uh, do you know of people that just kind of like wash their hands of it and and left? I yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, it was it was a um, and that's why I think a lot of universities. Because, like right. I said, I called up, I called up and talked to their graduate uh, advisor uh, at Tech, and and she said, "Say no more." She said, "We know we're getting we're getting phone calls left and right." She said, "You just what do you want to take?" And the next day, she said, "Do this, this, and this," and I did. And I'm not lying; it was like 48 hours later, I was registered with classes and everything. And yeah. I thought, "This is amazing." And then the classes were amazing. I worked. Uh, uh, I took those uh, those classes with um, uh, Dr. Norman Burt at Tech, and I loved him. I mean, the man was the man was fantastic, and uh, and so I got a chance to uh, 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 to see that. But um, yes, there were there were a lot of people. I was having lunch uh, with our at that time he was our dean uh, during this process, and he said, "Brad, I want you to know." He said, "You are the easiest." person that has gone that is going through this process he said we just we told you and you said okay i've got to do something and you're doing it he said there are some that just quit said no i'm not going back to school i'm sorry i'm not qualified for you well then i'll go someplace else and and so he said that they were dealing a lot with that they were dealing a lot with people that were getting lawyers and and things like that and i was like "Mm, well you know I'm one, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll do what it takes. And, and instead of, uh, for a while I cried in my beer. Okay. Yeah. I really <laughs> thought mm, this is, you know, stinky. Um, but then after I got, I, I get tired of crying in my beer and, uh, after a while. And so I, uh, told him, I said, I, I decided, I, you know, okay, we're, we're going to do this. You know, what are my options? Well, I could go get a job someplace else, but am I really excited about that? And see, my wife is a school teacher or was, she, she just recently retired, but, um, but she was in Burton, uh, teaching first grade, uh, over there. And she was, uh, uh, and she still had her job and, and it's like, okay, well, if I uproot us and move, that means she comes along too. And, and that's going to affect her and everything. And it just, the, the, it was just very, very clear what I needed to do. Just go get the classes, do it, get it out of the way and voila. And then um, uh, the assistant dean, I was talking to her after the whole process was over. And because I was thinking, thinking about going for my my PhD and and I was having lunch with her and I was talking to her about it. And I said, what do you think? And she said, she said, listen, she said, you went and you got qualified. And she said, there is nothing more the state can do. She said, as far as, as, I mean, these people that are in this group, there is no more qualification change that you can go through. She said, so until you retire someday, she said, you can work a hundred more years. You're still going to be qualified. You know, since you've gone through this process, uh, they can't make you go through it again. And she said, I would, instead of spending the money for that, she said, I think I'd spend the money on working on your place and, and writing plays and, and doing that. And so I also had mentioned that to my wife, who said the exact same thing. And we have a technical theater director named Kevin Patrick at our school, who's fantastic. And uh, I was talking to him and he said the same thing. He said, he said, Brad, you're close enough to retirement to where if you 
do something like this. You may have your PhD, but then you're going to retire. <laughs> he said, go be a playwright. He said, you're more than qualified to do that. <laughs> so, and so I did. I decided, okay, the money I'm going to, I would use for that. I will use for, for, uh, uh, and entering plays and contests and things like that. So it's, uh, and it, uh, at my job, I'm completely qualified now to do yeah. what I, yeah. what I love to do. So it's, it's all worked out. It's all worked out beautifully. So, uh, I've got a couple more questions for you that oh, I'm going to yeah. get, get you out of here. Um, first of all, uh, I've got to ask the fun questions and then I'll ask the, uh, less fun questions. Uh, what's your favorite bluebell flavor now that you have probably had it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, believe me. I've had my bluebell. <laughs> um, they used to have a flavor and I haven't seen it in like a long time. I think it was one of these seasonal things. And yeah. then I think it kind of, um, went away but it was called chocolate decadence mm. and that was oh that was by far my favorite bluebell ice cream that was my favorite ice cream i'd ever eaten right. okay it was just fantastic and then they came out recently with a fudge something and it was similar to that but i have yet to see chocolate decadence since then huh. and and oh man that was that was my favorite but um and now I, man, I love their sherbets. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, even even the, just their homemade vanilla, you know, put a little chocolate on it. I'm I'm there. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah, anything anything they make is <laughs> is great. But I think chocolate decadence was the best ice cream I ever put in my mouth. That was okay. just like three different types of chocolate. Oh, it was so good. And and then uh, did the sewing store or any sort of residual element of the sewing store? Have you taken that with you in your daily life or is there, is there an element of like, uh, the salesman element of things or the, you know, anything that you have kind of turned into, uh, whether it be an homage to the store or to the salesmanship of your father, uh, have you, have you adapted anything into your daily life that comes from that? Oh, sure. Uh, I spent, I mean, growing up, uh, I was working in my father's store. We we moved all while I was growing up. Um, we lived in Houston uh, for a good little bit. My father worked for Natural Gas Pipeline. And then we moved to Chicago because he had uh, uh, moved up with the company at Natural Gas. And then uh, after that, he had a chance to take over the family business, which was a Singer sewing machine business in Dumas, Texas. And so we moved to Dumas and, uh, and so from Dumas on, I mean, I worked in his stores on weekends. I was there doing things. I mean, I was, we were, I, I yeah. And I learned, I learned how to, how to sell things out of his store. I learned how to, how to do that. And, and I think that's been very, very helpful. Um, never learned how to work on machines. I didn't, you know, I guess I wasn't, you know, interested enough or, or <laughs> they didn't think I was smart enough. I don't know, but <laughs> my father worked on machines and I had an uncle that worked there and he worked on machines, but, uh, but I never did that. Um, but I could, I could, I could do the, um, the grunt work. I could, you know, uh, if they, if they needed someone to sell things, I could do that. And then if, uh, um, it, when the, it was, it was really funny. The store was, was in a, an old rent house that they had fixed up into a, into a store. And, and so they had, a, it had a lawn and guess who got to mow the lawn. Uh, so I was doing lawn and carrying boxes and I would go with my father to 
uh, to make deliveries for sewing machine cabinets and things like that. And so, yes, I did. I learned a lot about the business and how to handle people and and how to uh, um, how to be nice, even even when you're not feeling your best, you know, how to how to how to do that. And and then, um, like I said, I worked in the. Um, the clothing store, the men's clothing store. Uh, and that was a real eye-opening experience because I really saw business. I was a manager there and, uh, and had, uh, uh, saw the business side of things. So yeah, I've taken a lot of that with me, um, yeah. and, and put it into my, it's just part of me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think about it. It's a part of me. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> her, uh, it's just genetics. Genetic. So, so the chocolate decadence has turned into fudge brownie decadence. Fudge brownie decadence, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. So anyway, oh, good. it's still around, just renamed. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked it up. My research team, yeah, so looked it up. Yeah. Uh, so uh, last question, I'll get you out of here. With when I, whenever I have um, higher ed uh, people on here, I I try to get some sort of um, uh, feedback for secondary and middle school teachers to kind of grow from right because uh in we can we can can paint this pig or put lipstick on this pig however we want but most of us are in the college prep business right we are we are here to get the students ready for hopefully going to uh community college junior college university whatever that might be um so is there something that you could offer up and and this could be something that you've seen over the last 35 years kind of morph and change but is there something that you could offer up to a uh, middle school or secondary teacher to say hey it'd be great if you could start make sure you focus on this in order to prepare the students for uh the 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 university community college world uh so that they have the proper tools and for instance and a lot of a lot of your people usually agree with this. Uh, uh, Jim Johnson was the first higher ed person I ever interviewed. Uh, yeah. Very gracious. Yeah, I think he was like the eighth person, and so now I'm you know many more later. But uh, he still had a glorious beard at the time. Um, but uh, he he said get them prepared to keep a schedule and uh, manage their time pretty much. And so that's kind of always stuck with me as far as now. And that was four years ago that he told me this. So I've had four years of teaching kids to say, hey, guys, get get your act together to, to know how to manage your time, right? Because that 8 a.m. class is is not so great for you. But the fact that you're done by nine and you have the rest of the day, like, you, you know, that kind of thing to – to uh, to prepare. So, is there something that you could maybe offer up as someone that's now been in that business for uh, quite some time? Well, I have to agree with Jim Johnson. Uh, that is uh, uh, scheduling. Yes, learn learn how to schedule and and really teach your students the the importance of responsibility. You know that's that's a big thing because so many kids don't understand that, and sometimes it it, it takes a little while for them to get um, into that, into that mode and figure out, oh, I have to be responsible. Um, I've had students before that came in, were very irresponsible, then realized if I'm going to stay here and do this, then I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to get my head on straight. And, uh, and I think everybody, every, you know, freshman in, in college goes through that, you know, uh, figuring out, oh, crud, (laughs) this is the real world. Um, Something I would say, and this is just now this is just a personal thing, but one thing I have seen is a 
not well, I don't know a lot, but there's there's been some some high school specifically um, theater teachers and theater uh, uh, instructors that really don't challenge. I, I don't think they challenge themselves enough, and I don't think they challenge their their kids enough. And and I want to say to them, you can do it. You know, don't don't be afraid. I mean, I'm not saying go nuts and you know and have people run around naked or anything like that. I'm just talking about some of the uh, some of the some of the students that I get are are really used to a very uh, small environment, which is which is great. I went to a small school too, so I understand that. But you know, I had a theater director who we did four shows a year, four or five shows a year in our small little to a school and and we did i mean she had i mean and we were all involved and and up there doing it and and i when i went into a at Amarillo college when i went into it i didn't have the idea of oh i can't we can't ooh can we do this you know it it wasn't like that because i'd been doing it in high school and and i really see a lot of teachers that that don't believe in, I don't think they believe so much. I hate to say this. I don't think they believe so much in their students and not that they don't believe in them and loving them, but they, I think they just don't think they can do certain things. And it's like, yeah, you can. And then, um, and then themselves, I've heard some theater teachers, it's like, oh gosh, well, I want to do this, but you know, and everything. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's not that big of a stretch. You can do that. And and I just would, if I was going to say anything to them, I'd really say to middle school and junior high, um, challenge your kids because, because I do that all the time. And, and you know, I mean, there's certain, certain restrictions. There's certain things. We're in a small town here, uh, a very small town mentality in Brenham. So I have to kind of watch what we do and, and what we say and everything like that. But we just we just closed a production called Vinegar Tom. And I've had people tell me, oh, I don't think, you know, I haven't seen anyone, you know, higher than a, a university do that. And it's like, well, we did it because I'm, I want to challenge my students. And, and uh, another example or better example, we did last fall, we did um, uh, the play Houdini, which was based on Houdini, of course. But this is a script that hasn't been done since the 1970s hasn't been produced and we uh found it dusted it off and and the thing was the reason why it was so obscure was because it was written by a poet so it's very poetically written that people don't answer questions you know somebody would ask them a question they don't answer it they give them a poetic <laughs> stanza and so when I sat down with our students and said, all right, we're doing this. And we did a read through of the script. They, they said, oh, this doesn't make sense to us. And I said, yes, I know. And you know what? We're going to make it make sense. We're going to find out what this means and we're going to make it make sense. And when we were done, I mean, I had nobody leave that was confused. Everybody knew exactly what the story was and everything. And, and I attribute that to my students. Because the students were the ones that said, okay, this scene means this and this and this. And they figured it out. And they took something that was very hard to understand and made sense. I had read that play three times. Um, I read it the first time, said, this doesn't make any sense, and chunked it. And then um, I thought, no, I'm going to reread this and see. I read it a second time. <laughs> Still didn't understand it. 
And I thought, okay, you know, this is not meant to be. And then finally, I don't know what it was, but something said, hey, you know what? Pick up that a third time. And I thought, all right, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to try to look beyond the the wording and the you know and everything and try to give myself an idea of where this is going and i did and i finally decided to do it because if it if it challenged me three times to to finally decide to do it then i thought you know what we're gonna get these kids to to do it and i and i want to say to anybody who's doing that challenge your students um because because that's what they're that's what we're there for is for them of course and and because they they just need that challenge, they need to know, hey, I can do this, and and it's not impossible. Minor wisdom.